I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is New York Times bestselling author Michael Corda. His new book is Passing, a Memoir of Love and Death. It was a warm April in Pleasant Valley when Margaret, normally a fearless horsewoman, dropped her horse whip while she was riding. Such a mild slip was easy to ignore, but when other troubling symptoms accumulated, she confided to her husband, Michael, I think something is serious is wrong with seriously wrong with me. Within a few rapid weeks, the fiercely independent former fashion model was diagnosed with brain cancer. While Michael Quarter became her caregiver, deciphering bewildering medical reports and packing her beloved toiletries for the hospital. He's the former editor-in-chief of Simon & Schuster and a living legend in the publishing world. His many books include Ike, an American Hero, Power, Charmed Lives, Queenie, Country Matters, and many more. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning, Michael. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I have to say, this. I thought your book was great. I, I, you know, and I've read a lot of books about death and dying. As a social worker, I've worked on many death and dying uh, panels and hospitals and all of those kinds of things. But I think the one thing that stood out with about your book is, I mean, it really, and I'm using the word authentic. It didn't have. It wasn't sugary sweet and spiritual and religious. It was really. I thought just right out there, a lot that all of us can identify with, uh, either as as a caretaker or with family or friends or colleagues who have have died. So um, I want to start out with that anyway. Um, so, pass, passing a memoir of love and death. I mean, this is your wife of of forty years um, and a, I guess a, a a real surprise to you that she was the one who was probably going to go first because apparently you were the one who had had cancer and heart disease and you thought you were the one who was going to go first. So let's start with that. I mean, this was... Um, well, yes, I always assumed that, to tell you the truth. I had a cardiac arrest. I can't even remember what year. Um, and two bouts with cancer. And I was... And I, I was older than Margaret, so I always assumed quite naturally, yes, that I would go first. Um, and, and arranged everything with that in mind. Um, uh, then it comes, of course, it's a tremendous shock and a surprise that that's not what's going to happen. Um, and what I wanted to do in this book is to show as accurately as I could and to make a story of it, uh, to show what the process is like of moving from um, a, an absolutely brutal diagnosis that you had no reason to expect um, to criminal illness and death. Uh, I think one of the problems is that although we're all going there eventually, it's the one subject none of us wants to read about or think about. Um, and, and, and in passing, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to make the case for confronting it and thinking about it. And that's exactly what you did do in the book, confront and think about it. But let's take it back, because I think your relationship, the two of you, you and Margaret, is key here, too. Because, I mean, it seems like you had a very passionate relationship. It was just the two of you. You didn't have a lot of necessarily uh, family and support. So you kind of went through this by yourselves, not completely by yourselves. And we'll talk about that. But it, it, it kind of just, it seems like, 
it was the two of you who were facing this diagnosis and this struggle. Yes, I think that's true. I have relatives, but they're in England, um, and and it's been sometimes since I've really been close to them or seen them. Margaret uh, is one of, was one of those remarkable people who, after the death of her mother and her father, seemed to have no relatives. I mean, uh, uh, I don't ever remember seeing her get a Christmas card from cousins or aunts or um, distant relations. Um, so, yes, it was the two of us pretty much uh, alone, though, of course, surrounded by the people we know and love here. Uh, and, uh, but, you know, in the end, uh, I think that uh, no matter how many people you have surrounding you, um, dying and death is going to be a lonely business. Um, and um, I think the book reflects that very largely. What, what, what do you want the main takeaway for us as readers to, to get from the book? I mean, yes, you were talking about the process, death and dying, um, but what was unique to you and maybe what was something that is universal for all of us and in, in, we're all going to die? And uh, Yeah. Well, I think what's universal for everybody is a very high level of fear and anxiety. And, um, and that either fear and the anxiety are as bad as pain um, uh, and um, as difficult to, to bear as pain. Um, and I'd like people reading Passing to get some sense of the fact that it doesn't really pay off to let yourself fall into fear and anxiety. And interestingly enough, um, people in the home hospice world point out that um, most patients uh, go into hospice care or home hospice care only a few days before their death. Uh, that's a strange thought when you, when, when you turn it over in your mind because that means that the patient doesn't really know that he or she is dying and that the family either doesn't know it or has repressed it completely. Uh, and that, I think, is, 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 is a big problem. I think that, that people need to face the fact that, that, that they're, they're, they're dying um, and people need to talk about it as frankly as they can um, and to face it as frankly as they can because not doing so makes it much harder. Uh, so, if anything, passing is an argument in favor of being absolutely frank and honest with each other about the whole um, process. Uh, it's also a something of a tribute both to Margaret for her toughness of spirit and her uh, and her control over herself, uh, but perhaps even more to the fact that. While all of us are critical of the medical system in this country because it's complicated, because it's expensive, um, because everybody's insurance is different and nobody's insurance really covers what they wanted to cover, uh, all of that is true. But the remarkable thing is that everybody in this book uh, that I can think of cared very much what happened to Margaret and 
and, and, and worked very efficiently and above all, affectionately and with great, um, and, and, and with great um, caregiving um, uh, to make it as easy and simple as it could be for Margaret. And I, I thought somebody needed to write a book that said that because we're constantly being presented with the bad side of the medical system, which is unfortunately all too obvious, but very seldom uh, a book in which, uh, the, the, which presents the quite extraordinary level of care which, which, which everybody in the system um, is capable of giving. And not because you, know, you could say, well, you know, he's a best-selling author, Margaret's a former model. Um, yeah, all true. But the fact of the matter is that both of us are uh, we're on Medicare, uh, so it's not a question of money. Um, it's that the, the, the people uh, at um, the working end of the medical system were wonderful, uh, with very, very few exceptions. And but we're also I guess what, I just have to say what stood out to me is it seemed to me that you, as a caregiver, did a lot of caregiving and didn't, even though obviously you say both of you are well-known, um, and I'll even say celebrities perhaps, but that you didn't, that you took on a lot of the responsibilities that um, I sort of felt like, wow, couldn't you have gotten even more help? I mean, I know, I mean, it's, caregiving is stressful, it's, it's exhausting, it's, you get angry, you, you know, the, the mood swings, all of those kinds of things. And I thought, hmm, did Michael really take care of himself enough? Uh, it, it, that, that sort of, that question came up, I guess, when I read your book. Well, yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, you know, Margaret made the choice um, which did not surprise me at all, um, that uh, she wanted to die at home um, in her own bed surrounded by her cats, um, which I think was exactly the right choice um, and is not, as you probably know, all that easy to arrange or do. But nevertheless, that's what we managed to do. Um, uh, no matter how much help you can you, you get in, um, uh, nurses uh, and home hospice people, um, uh, the, you're going to end up doing a lot of the caregiving yourself, um, or at any rate, enough of it so that it changes your life. And you also have to be the person who's there um, for the one who's ill. Um, that means that you you're going to have to you, you, you're going to have to give the emotional support and and the close support um, that that is necessary, uh, and that's important because, for example, if you if somebody goes into a hospice, um, you can drive and visit them every day, um, and you'll be there for let's say from eleven in the morning till five or six at night with a couple of breaks, uh, but then you drive home and 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 you go back the next day. If somebody's dying at home, you're there 24 hours a day, um, and you have to be there for them 24 hours a day as much as possible. That's uh, that's that's something I had never anticipated doing, um, and 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 I wanted, of course, to record in passing just what that involves and what it feels like and how important it is. Yeah, I, is, I, think, I think you did do that. You accomplished hardest, probably the I, best I, I, thing I've ever done. And given that, 
You also bring up the topic of, you, in the book, you refer to desperation. I'm using the term desperation oncology. Let's talk about that because I, I think that uh, a lot of people can identify with that. Like, how much treatment do you get? I mean, do you, and are, at what point are you torturing your loved one by, you know, getting too much treatment and making those kinds of decisions yourself and or with the person who's dying? I mean, I think that's a huge topic. And, uh, Unfortunately, I've oh, seen I a think lot it's of a very big yeah. topic and a very big problem for a lot of people. Um, I explore that in passing uh, a lot. Um, first of all, you know, obviously, I'm not a doctor, and 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 it's 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 possible to argue where there's life is hope, of course. But the truth of the matter is, in a lot of these cases, um, uh, in Margaret's, for example, uh, there was not hope. Uh, once she'd had the first brain surgery and once the tumors um, recurred after that and, and um, uh, Gavinaf radiation, uh, then um, she wasn't going to get better. Uh, and Margaret was very firm that she didn't want to be a patient for the rest of her life, in and out of emergency rooms, in and out of hospitals, um, receiving um, experimental drugs with terrible side effects, um, uh, she didn't want that at all. Now, you know, you could argue that. You could say, well, she should have tried it, and it, it might have given her more life. But uh, I think it was the right decision to make. And I think most families, um, uh, this decision never does get made, first of all, because people automatically do what the doctor says to do. Um, I mean, the, the big concern is, is it covered by my medical insurance, not do I really need it or want it. Uh, secondly, um, it's the doctor's job to keep you alive and not to say um, uh, you shouldn't be getting further treatment. So we can't expect the doctor to solve that problem for us. Uh, I think you have to face very frankly with the person who's, who's, who's terminally ill how far he or she wants to go with treatment. And once you've made that decision to stick to it and not to sit around for the next few weeks or months saying, was I right, was I wrong? Um, it's, 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 it's another one of those areas, and I, I, I explore them very deeply in passing, where you have to be absolutely frank um, and upfront about it before you can do what, what, what the right thing is. Yeah, I think that's important. You have to get the right information. And I think, as you say, sometimes physicians, not always, have difficulty sort of giving you the the real picture so that you're making the right kind of a decision. And yeah. I think that, yeah, and I think that's improving in the medical community. But you really, you know, being able to be honest and to to give you the information and the person, the caregiver and the person who's dying, you know, the right information to make the right choice. Do you ever feel, have you ever, what would do you feel guilty about anything that, that happened over that year? And oh, goodness, yes, yes, of course I do. Um, uh, particularly after Margaret's death, but even before she died, I kept asking myself, did I do the right thing? Also, did we do the right thing here? Did we make the right decision about that? Did we make the wrong decision about that? And of course, um, uh, I, I asked myself, those questions all the time, uh, and the fa at the e very end of passing, I quote Mary Oliver's poem, which I've always liked, and which I think probably expresses 
fairly exactly um, what uh, so many people are going through or will go through. I worried a lot. Will the garden grow? Will the rivers flow in the right direction? Will the earth turn as it was taught? And if not, how shall I correct it? Was I right? Was I wrong? Will I be forgiven? Could I have done better? Um, uh, Mary Oliver puts exactly the questions that we ask ourselves all the time in these circumstances. Uh, Was I right? Was I wrong? Could I have done better? Uh, There's not going to be anybody who can answer those questions. Um, (laughs) But you have to face the fact that there are certain decisions where uh, you simply must um, come down strongly on what your instinct is for the for, for the best of the patient. Uh, in, in passing, I, I pay huge tribute to the home hospice nurses, and particularly to Margaret's main home hospice nurse, Donna Engel, because she was the first one to make it absolutely clear to me uh, when I had said that uh, I thought Margaret wanted water and how could we give it to her because um, um, uh, by that time her teeth were turned shut and um, did she need to be hydrated and Donna Engel got right back to me on a an Easter weekend and said don't do anything her systems are closing down she isn't thirsty what you are doing is prolonging her suffering if you give her something like that, and it's the reverse of what you ought to be doing. And that's the kind of thing, the kind of um, uh, directive, which brings you sharply up against it. Yes, of course. There, it's, when you reach that moment when the object is not to care for the patient and prolong his or her life, but to make the patient as comfortable as possible and in fact, um, cut down the amount of time that, that the patient will live, that's a very difficult emotional fence to jump. Um, and yet, as the caregiver at that point in time, uh, you are the one who must make those decisions. Yeah, and, and it just seems so counterintuitive. It's like when they tell you to put the mask on, on yourself first before putting it on your baby. It's like you want to put the mask on and the airplane on the baby first, and it's sort of the same kind of thing. Similar, I guess. I don't know. Yes. but yeah. it, uh, is, it is counterintuitive. It, it's, it's, yeah, your instinct is, oh, she seems to be thirsty. Let's find some means of giving her something to drink, even if it means filling a, a, a syringe with water and putting it between the teeth to inject it in. But the fact of the matter is you're, you're, you're doing the wrong thing, and you're prolonging suffering. Um, You're not making it better or easier. Um, All of these issues are, of course, very hard to deal with. And one of the reasons that I wrote Passing is that I wanted to be absolutely honest, or as honest as as I can be at any rate, um, about what is involved in, in making these decisions and, and what, what, what you need to know and what happened to us uh, as a couple who were together for over 40 years. Um, and I think that it, it would be helpful to people. And then one of the things I think very strongly is that although we're all going there, I mean, 
<laughs> as far as we know, nobody's managed to avoid dying so far. Um, so, um, uh, nevertheless, it's the last thing we want to think about. It's the last thing we want to hear about. It's the last thing that we prepare for. Uh, and I think that that's uh, a mistake. I, I, I don't think people should sit around all day long thinking about that. That, of course, isn't going to do any good or, and isn't at all sensible. But, but you should at least have some idea about how you're going to face it. And, uh, and if you're the, 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 the caregiver, uh, the one who isn't ill, you should have some idea about how you're going to help the person you love go through it. Um, it, 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 it it's, it's not going to be helped if you simply uh, don't face realistically what's happening. And, and passing really is, a, is, is a, a very sharply observed portrait of one person's death um, uh, from which I think everybody can learn something. Yeah, I would agree. I think one of the things, and I don't know if you did this quote in the book, but uh, and most of the people that I know do not go gently into the night, and uh, it just <laughs> doesn't happen that way. And somehow it seems to me of all those that I have experienced or gone through their death with them. It's sort of like the ones who love living so much, maybe like Margaret, and uh, have more difficulty, uh, are not are more reluctant to, to, to give in or give up or to even face it. Um, that's, that's just my own experiences with, um, you know, family, friends. Well, yeah, I think I, 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 I absolutely understand that. Nobody could have wanted, um, more life more than Margaret did. She was until the moment she discovered she was ill, um, she was the healthiest person I know, and rode two horses a day, uh, walked a mile or two a day, um, enjoyed enjoyed her life, and uh, and and was um, uh, expecting a lot more of it. Uh, so uh, the, the the transition from that to knowing that you're terminally ill. Uh, is a very abrupt and 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 difficult one, but but I think in her case, it was somewhat made easier by her ability, certainly during the first six months or so of her illness, by by her ability to set the uh, a level at what she would experience medically. Mm-hmm. In other words, she was without pretending to be a doctor herself um, or interfering with the judgments of, 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 of the doctor. She was um, firm at setting how far she would go in terms of treatment. And so in other words, and I hate enough. to cut you, I hate to cut you off. We have a minute left, but I think that, that, that is well said in terms of like taking control over what she had the ability to take control of. She did <clears throat> website that we can go to so we can read the book. Others can read the book. Great book. Passing a Memoir of Love and Death. Uh, Michael Corda. Where, what website can we, we can buy the book on Amazon bookstores everywhere. Um, I just downloaded it in my iPad. Um, so can you give us a website for more information? Um, I, uh, well, of course, Amazon.com has everything and, um, hopefully everybody has a bookstore fairly near them where the book, where the book will be. Um, uh, you know, I think this is a, 
This is a country where we weed up on everything. And when I had prostate cancer many years ago, I wrote a book called Man to Man. And, and I, have, I hate to cut you off because they're going to cut me off, but I read your, after reading this book, I read Man to Man. That's a whole other book, which is great too. Maybe you can talk about that on the show another time. But, uh, yeah, that's a really good book. Um, but, but it's a, have the, to, the critical factor, as you say, is you have to be able to look it in the face, um, realistically, to think about it and to make your own decision about how far you will go and how far you want to go. Um, And not find yourself in a kind of long-lasting medical hell, um, which you're you're incapable of leaving or controlling. Exactly. That's that's the thing. Michael, thanks so much for being on the show today. That point very firmly. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Great talking to you. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to the Catherine Zox Show. (laughs) 